0: This is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to episode number four. This is a continuation of episode three, which was on RxJava. Part one ran a little long, so we broke it into two episodes. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to episode number three so you can follow along. In this episode, we continue the RxJava conversation with Dan Liu and discuss many more intricacies of RxJava. We hope you enjoy it. Let's get back to it.
1: Two other operators uh, that are very commonly used are the map and the flat map operator, right? When I started out, essentially, I tossed a coin and tried to use map. And then I was like, oh, that didn't work. Okay, so then let me try flat map. I'm like, oh, that works. Okay. Uh, so it really took some time for me to sort of understand these, like, to sort of solidify the exact reason where I would want to use map versus where I would want to use flat map. The way I've sort of like come up with uh, an understanding is map is essentially like the alchemist's operator. So uh, whenever you want to like transform one object to another object, a single object to another object, you would do this with map. So you have maybe a JSON object coming in, like an observable of a JSON object, and you want to transform that to uh, maybe like... a goal, exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's
2: what alchemy is all about, right? Yeah, yeah, there we go.
1: <laughs> you would typically use the map operator in that situation. Now, the flat map is similar, but there's one very key difference. The way I think about it is, like, assuming you had, like, a block of cheese, right? You have a block of cheese... And what you want from this block of cheese is a bunch of sandwiches. It might sound bizarre, but like this, <laughs> the beauty with this sort of thinking is it's so weird that you'll never forget it. So you take a block of cheese and you shove it through this operator called flat map. What this flat map operator does is it sort of shreds this into uh, slices of cheese. So you have different slices of cheese. Now, Slices of cheese basically means that there are many objects. So if you're returning like a bunch of objects, like how would you typically do this? Well, you would use an observable, right? Because essentially what an observable does is it emits a bunch of sort of uh, events. And that's exactly what flat map does. It takes a single input. So in this case, like a block of cheese, and it like sort of makes slices of cheese. But here's where flat map becomes even more awesome. Like, Assuming you don't want just to give slices of cheese to everyone, but you want to transform each slice of cheese to maybe like a sandwich, then flat map gives you like an operator where you can actually transform that. Now, if you wanted to only change, say like a block, uh, like a single slice of cheese to a sandwich, then a map would suffice. But if you had like a single block of cheese that you want a bunch of sandwiches to come out from, then you would use flat map. Does that make sense or am I just crazy?
2: That makes some sense. I mean, I, f- I think... I think of map and flat map a little more in terms of like what level of order they're at. And map is just plain object to plain object. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um Whereas flat map is you put in a plain object, but what you get out is a different observable stream. And so yep. in this case, like your example, you're putting in is uh, cheese, and what you're getting out is an observable of slices. Um, exactly. But it could be anything. Like it could be you know an ID, and you and you flat map that to an observable that returns the data behind that ID. So that's something I use like constantly
1: invariably if you're using like Java, like i would be very surprised if you didn't run into the map or the flat map operator i mean you're going to run into it like eventually
2: you're going to run into it but you're going to not understand the difference for a while
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, that's maybe one going to be two of the main observables that you use all the time so speaking of uh, multiple observables at times you're going to have two observables, and you need to combine them into a single observable. And there's the zip operator for that. And it allows you to combine multiple observables into one single observable. Uh, an example of this might be making parallel network calls. And then when you get the results back, you can combine them into a single uh, observable, which you can work with at that point.
1: Yep. Uh, the zip operator is like pretty useful that way. There are uh, other operators, and I guess we're going to ca- touch on those. Uh, for example, I guess another one that's Very similar is Combined Latest. Dan, do you want to sort of like walk us through what Combined Latest does?
2: Yeah, I mean, I love this one because it basically, you take multiple observables, so they're all emitting whatever items they want, you know, multiple times possibly. And Mm -hmm. it executes each time that one of the observables uh, emits a new item. So it basically lets you monitor the state of multiple observables at once in one compact area. And so Mm -hmm. I love this for example, validating input. So suppose I have like three form fields... And I want to activate the, the you know, submit button when all three form fields are v- filled with valid data. Um, like that's possible with a bunch of booleans and method calls, or I can just have an observable that represents each form's output and whether it's valid or not. And then I can combine all of that. And once I get valid output from each of the observables, then it enables the button.
1: That is a
0: great example.
1: Here's one question, though. We talked about zip and we talked about uh, combine latest. For a long time, I really didn't quite understand the difference between like specifically what's different between zip, uh, combined latest. And I also came across this, uh, uh, this operator called switch map. Now, if you look at all of them, essentially, the intention seems to be very similar, like all of them seem almost similar, right. But here, like, so what I did in order to sort of understand the difference is there's this concept of marble diagrams that's used heavily throughout uh, Rx. And what it does is it sort of gives you a visual representation of like what's really happening. And many a time, if you just have a look at these marble diagrams, it just clicks, it becomes immediately clear. So when I looked at uh, Zip, the marble diagrams for Zip, uh, Combine Latest, and also uh switch map, it immediately became it became evident. For example, with zip, what happens is if you have two observables emitting events, what zip does is it forcefully combines each of the items from both streams in a sort of uh, synchronous uh, manner. Well, uh, actually synchronous is not the right word. It waits f- to make sure that each uh, item emitted from both streams is collected and uh, spit out into one sort of result. Now,
2: yeah, I mean, it's, it's like it's like a physical zipper where, you know, the left side zips and the right side and the left and the... It's the left and right, always the the next one of each.
1: Oh, so that's where they use like the, the term zip?
2: I'm guessing that's where I got it from.
1: See? Oh, learning every day. There's something to learn every day. <laughs> Combine latest is a little different in that like one of the streams start emitting objects. What it basically does is it takes the latest object from the other stream, combines them and gives it to you. So that... That's how it's a little different from uh, Zip. Again, just look at these marble diagrams and it makes it so much more easier. This is like, at least for me, it's a little hard to explain. But if you look at the marble diagrams, it's like, boom, like in one second, you just immediately understand what's happening.
0: So, sure. Kalshik, real quick, can you explain what, what a marble diagram is for those not familiar with a marble diagram? Sure. So, again, I
1: guess it's the folks over at uh, Microsoft or maybe it's someone else who came up with the uh, with Rx in general they realize that many times these streams it if you want to understand these things easily a visual representation of this thing uh, is super easy right so what they typically do is like they have like uh, an observable which they represent with a line and essentially they have events being represented by these marbles right and they have like the operator in between and then in the end they show the result visually they show the result of how this would actually look like. So, if you had like a stream of objects flow through, they would show like what the combined result would be uh, based on the operator that you're passing. So, we'll we'll again put a link to the show notes to like these marble diagrams. And specifically, if you see like between zip, combine, latest, and switch map, it it really kicks in. So, if you go to the RxJava wiki, like they have these marble diagrams all over. So,
0: Dan, cool. I know that you you would talk to. Before we'd hopped on the show a little bit about the, the observable called distinct until changed. I haven't worked with this. Would you mind talking about it a little bit?
2: Yeah, I love this one. Uh, so basically, any any given observable will be emitting a bunch of items. And uh, sometimes you don't really care if it emits the same item over and over again. Uh, So this happens a lot in uh, one part of the Trello application in particular. When you're loading all the card data, there's like five different databases that we're loading information from. And it kind of has this tree-like structure where, you know, if you change the card, then it trickles down and changes all the attachments and comments and all that stuff. Uh, So this can result in a lot of repeat calls because maybe some of the same data is repeated between different emissions. Distinct until change essentially says don't emit if the value hasn't changed since last time.
0: Gotcha. So, um,
2: mm. for example, you might have like a, conducti- a observable that represents whether your app is connected to the internet. And you might just get a bunch of events that say, yep, still connected, I'm still connected, I'm still connected. Um, and if you only care about you know whether it switches from yes to no, then you can use distinct until change to just filter out all the junk.
0: That's awesome. I didn't even know that was... Uh, there's so many observables inside of RxJava that... When you look inside the wiki uh, and in, on the website, uh, there's just so many of them to, to learn about. And this is another great one that uh, just kind of appeared out of the blue just now for me. That's great.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's still a bunch that I'm sure I could learn about and love. Um, <laughs> it, it's, there's a lot in there.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, under, under the hood, uh, from what I've read uh, online a lot, is under the hood, under a lot of the observables, observable.lift is used. Uh, do you know a, a little bit about, about how lift works and so forth or anything about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, so most most of the operators that you want are built in, but of course, like what happens if you want to write your own operator? What happens if you want to write your own transformation? So, for example, one thing that we wanted to do a lot in uh, the Trello app is we don't like null because it just like blows up your app. Um, mm-hmm. We'd rather we'd rather have some sort of default value, like instead of a null list, uh, just an empty list, and so. We could write that as a map, but it'd be really easier if we just write our own operator that we can apply everywhere. And so that's what Lyft is for, is essentially you can write your own operator and then use Lyft in order to combine it into the chain.
1: That's cool. Ah, that makes sense. So a question that I usually always had with Lyft is basically, okay, so how is it really different from uh, create, right? So I mean, because I've looked at the Lyft documentation, and it looks very sort of similar to like how you would use observable.create. So that kind of makes sense. I guess Observable create creates the Observable, but like with Lyft, it's specifically like a reusable operator. Is that is yeah? Because right?
2: cre- create basically creates not something out of nothing. It creates a stream out of nothing. Whereas Lift uh, takes a subscriber and and based on what the subscriber is emitting, then transforms it and emits it to someone else.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So while we're on this uh, subject of like combining operators, your the most recent blog post that Dan made was on compose compose the compose operator and i had no clue about compose until i actually saw your blog post so would you like to run us through that i think it's a it's an amazing and very useful operation
2: yeah i had no idea it existed until about a month ago which makes me sad because it's yeah, i love it now um <laughs> so a lot of the times you want to keep applying the same series of operators to something like a really common pattern is applying schedulers i want to I want the work to be done off the main thread, and I want the uh, reaction to be on the main thread. And so we'd written these methods that just wrap an observable and call those. What Compose does Mm -hmm. is it essentially lets you inline repeatable transformations. And Mm. uh, if you don't use Compose, you can still do this with observables, but you end up having to wrap... uh, use methods and wrap things around and it, the code a resulting code is really ugly but if you use compose it's essentially the same as you know take these three or four operators and just stick them in here in a re- reusable manner
0: yep that That's makes sense very very interesting And I think your blog post covers it very well when you use the example of subscribing and reacting uh, so if for the listeners that are listening definitely check out the Dan's blog post we'll link it in the show notes uh, it's very very interesting to see how you can use the Compose operator to help your code. Another uh, observable that I'm a huge fan of is the filter observable. And what it allows you to do is basically adjust a stream of data to just return what you need. And a good example of this is, let's say you have a maybe an order filter mechanism in your app, and it's shows the customer's orders, and you only want to show the orders that are between a certain price threshold, maybe between $100 and $250 for whatever reason, you can use the filter observable to actually filter out those orders so you can only work with the exact orders that you'd want to. So it allows you to easily filter out different objects at runtime. Does that sound about right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. So a
1: question that I had with filter uh, is... And So filter basically allows you to sort of chop up like a, assuming you have like a bunch of objects coming in from your observable stream, and you wanted only some of them to flow. What happens if you have only two objects being emitted from the observable, and basically your filter cuts them both off? So there's this concept of completion that I think is like important to sort of like bring out. And I, I, would like to like sort of like bring it out here. So assuming I filtered both events, what happened? Does it just pause? Does it stop? Does it not do anything? Does it continue? Like, how does that work here?
2: Yeah, so I mean, all all observable streams have a kind of a life cycle to them, which is that uh, on next is called multiple times, and on next is kind of like each item being admitted. And then they terminate in one of two ways, if they terminate at all. They may, not, they may never terminate, but if they do, it's in one of two ways. One is on error, which means that something happened that's critically bad and destroyed whatever could be done with this observable, and that's where you can kind of handle the error. And the other is on complete, which means... This observable has indicated that it's done emitting things it'll never emit anything ever again, and so you know that after either of those two terminal states you'll never see another item so that's essentially what happened is if you wanna if you wanna know uh if the difference between handling those items and knowing when the items stop flowing uh is important, then you should be hooking into like on complete instead of on next.
1: This is such an important thing to understand, especially initially. For me, it took me some time to get that aha moment. I didn't really sort of grasp when the completion sort of aspect happens. and But once you understand this, then it just like a lot of when you're debugging or, or operators don't seem to be doing what you suspect uh, that they should be doing, just having a grip on this concept sort of like immediately helps with those kind of situations.
2: Yeah, I've got a couple other favorites I want to just mention. There's an operator called Take which allows you to just grab the first N operations from any given stream. And so Mm -hmm. very often, I just want to see the first item emitted from any given stream. And so for that case, I'll just do take one, and I get the first item, which is great. Um, Mm -hmm. Also used all the time, like we've been talking about schedulers, what are the actual operators that run those schedulers are uh, subscribe on and observe on. Now, if anyone has a mnemonic for remembering which is which, I'd love it, because I (laughs) keep getting them. I cannot Mm -hmm. keep them straight in my head. I always have to look it up. But basically, one of them tells, tells you uh, which scheduler to use for all of the actions that happen during the subscription, and one of them tells you uh, what to do in the reaction phase, which thread run on for that.
0: The way that I usually remember that, Dan, is I think of subscribe on as like I'm going to subscribe to a, a, a magazine subscription, so I pay some money, and then some work is done in the background at some factory where they make some magazine, and I don't care how it's done, uh, but I want to observe the magazine Uh, in some form. So I subscribe to a magazine and then I observe the magazine and observing it means I actually have it in my hands. So it's been delivered to me at that point. That is a great way to remember it.
2: So
1: I mentioned earlier about hopping between threads. Say you wanted to hop to the main thread and then again, switch back to a background thread, then switch to a computation thread, switch to an IO thread. The way you would do it like intermittently is using the observe on operator. You can't use the subscribe on scheduler there. So assuming you're making the network call, then you want to harp back, do something on the main thread. In order to do that, you would actually have to use the observe on operator. The way I think about it is to subscribe on is like the sort of conclusion, right? Like, so in the end, when you say subscribe on, it's like the final subscription that happens. Again, yeah, people sort of think of it differently. But a key point that I uh, learned uh, along the way is, if you want to like quickly switch between uh, threads. The way you would do it is using the observe on operator. If you like add a bunch of subscribe on uh, operators, I don't think they have any effect. It only talks about the final subscription. There are a bunch of other operators as well, but again, this is something that we just have to explore. For example, there's debounce the and buffer, which I've personally used a lot. I have a couple of blog posts also talking about those, and we'll add a link to all of those in the show notes. But I mean, if we went ahead and discussed every single operator on RH Java, it would probably take us another two days to complete this episode. (laughs) And the the
2: hard part, too, is that usually these things don't stick until you have a specific use case for them.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Like, I I could, yeah, you could write a blog post that's like, here's every single uh, operator and why they're neat. And people would read it and just, like, nothing would get absorbed. (laughs) So in some ways, you kind of have to stumble in a little before you understand how great some of these operators are
0: exactly and i think one of the things that you know usually stumble into eventually pretty early on at least for me at least was stumbling into uh, subjects and those are RxJava subjects now have either of you guys uh use subject that much i know subjects i know that i use them in our app quite a bit oh Yeah, yeah
2: we use them a fair amount too uh there is a lot of like debate over whether they should be used or not Um, Mm -hmm. there's this one great article that I've read that basically handles like when it's actually appropriate to use subjects. Um, I think in, in RxJava in particular, you tend to use it more often because you can't actually monitor variables, uh, normally, like Mm -hmm. in, in some other languages, you can actually have a variable that like, when you change that variable, it automatically emits something that you can grab on for the observable, Ah. but in Java, you can't really do that. You always have to write some sort of Chrome around it in order to make that happen. So that's mm-hmm. that's why I feel like a lot of subjects become useful.
1: If you want to sort of like allow events to pass through, like I'm guessing the only way you can do that is with subjects, right? For example, a common use case that I've found myself using is uh, assuming you have like an edit text and you want to monitor like text changes because I mean, maybe you want to do a validation or you want to like sort of do an auto search kind of a, Uh, Feature, It's very hard to sort of like not use a subject there. Like, I mean, it would be pretty difficult. Uh, Typically what I would use is like, I would use a subject and as the events come in, I would like call on next on that subject. And then basically how it would react is I would sort of like create a subscription to that subject and use it that way. So subjects, again, there are different kinds of subjects. There's like an async subject. There's a behavior subject. There's a publish subject. Oh, what's the other one that I'm missing? Mm. Replay, replay subject exactly. Thanks, mm-hmm. Don.
2: There is actually um, in the RX Android uh, library there are ways to hook into like edit texts for uh, changes. How do you do um, that? That someone's written. Ah, yes. I, for, it's, I think it's in View Observables, and oh. they hook into they add their own text watcher that basically acts as an observable as a created observable for that uh, edit text.
0: Time to go rewrite all the view code. <laughs> Yeah, ah, I find see? I find
2: that subject most often happens when I have a variable that I need to emit new versions of, and like you said, if you you can use that for things like edit text validation. But any time any time I've just got a variable where I want to inform other people when it changes, mm-hmm. that tends to be when I have a subject.
0: Kaushik, do you you use the subject in your uh, simple event bus blog post? Didn't you?
1: Based, so this is again like a huge uh, topic. Like people yeah. think event buses, like RxJava replaces event buses and. Again, we're not going to go into that because, again, that will require another whole show. But tried to do essentially is I used RxJava uh, in order to create an event bus. So it wasn't that RxJava replaced the event bus. I just used, the li- I used specifically a publish subject and uh, a sort of singleton kind of object that would listen and publish these events uh, outside. We'll add a link to the show notes. Uh, I've gone into great detail as to how I did it. What the beauty? I mean, the main reason I even wrote that blog post was because it was so simple to actually use RxJava and create the event bus, and that was basically what I wanted to draw out. It's it's so easy to like work with these kind of situations, especially anytime you think about uh, any situation that has to deal with events, like events flying around. Then you almost invariably know that uh, RxJava has a mechanism of doing it. So I wrote that as a sort of proof of concept to myself to. Uh, implement an event bus using rxjava now i know that the rx android project at least the specific branch of it also had like an event bus implementation and that was uh probably more flushed out but it never saw the light of day did it uh, uh dan do you have any idea about that or is that or is it actually there and i'm just i've fallen off the wagon there
2: i don't know the answer to that <laughs>
1: The last I saw basically there was like an implementation on one branch on GitHub, so we'll confirm that later.
2: Yeah, we can you can look into that. I mean it's it's a little weird to combine I mean event buses and RX Java are kind of two different things. Like they can solve similar mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. But it seems kind of odd for me to to say let's let's mash up the two right. because like what is that what does that even mean? You're you're having two different flows of execution. One much more direct and one much more, like event buses are all about broadcast information and RxJava is a lot more about uh, kind of directly connecting information to each other.
0: One thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about was handling errors with with inside of RxJava and how that can help your application, how it makes uh, error handling a lot easier. And that's done with the on error method inside of the, the subscription. Um, I think we've all found that the crashes go dramatically down. And not to say that they definitely go away because they they definitely don't, but it makes it a little more graceful to handle. Uh, The one thing that I'd like to note, though, is that if you need to implement on error, because if you don't, uh, you will not receive a crash. Your app will just magically just stop working. Uh, You'll click a button and nothing will happen, or you'll refresh the screen and nothing will happen. And I've run into this many times during development. Uh, I'll get something to work. And I will forget to implement on error for some reason. And then all of a sudden, I'll introduce a bug a little bit later. And then the app just stops working. There's nothing in the logs. There's nothing anywhere. And I realize I forgot to implement on error. Uh, Have you guys uh, found the same thing in your guys' development?
2: Oh, yeah. Plenty of times. uh, there's There's a debugger you can attach to RxJava. And almost every time I do that, what I do is I end up finding someplace where I didn't implement on error.
0: So what is, is this a different debugger than just a typical uh, Android Studio uh, debugger?
2: Yeah, well, with, there is some RxJava plugins that you can use. And one uh-huh. of them is a way to basically hook into every single notification that RxJava does. So every single time is on Next is called, every time on Complete, and every time on Air is called. And so we've, we've written a tiny little thing which basically spits out all of those notifications to LogCat. And it's a real fire hose of information, but occasionally it's it's useful for debugging real nasty rxjava problems.
0: Oh wow, that sounds super useful. Is that do you, is that open source or is that something you guys have written and released, or what is that?
2: Oh uh, I mean the, the it's totally available, yeah. The arcs Java plugin and rxjava debug is part of the arcs it's one of the arcs Java extensions. Um okay. As for the spitting out to Logcat, I mean it's that's not open source, but it was like five lines of code, so it's not really I mean, we could open source it if you really want, but it's not that hard to write.
0: Yeah, even a little blog post or a gist or something like that, I think, would be very useful to a lot of people that are getting into RxJava because they can they can actually see it inside of Logcat. That would be great. Just a just a recommendation. We'll <laughs> <laughs> look into it.
1: So one thing that's like I've always had trouble with, uh, specifically with RxJava, and I still do. I mean, like it it isn't as easy is testing with RxJava. So as most listeners know, testing is a dear topic to the show. Uh, Rx Testing in Rx Java is not as easy as you would typically like it to be. One approach I usually use is like, a, specifically if you're like trying to get a bunch of objects from the database and it returns an observable of objects, then making it a blocking operator makes it very easy to test. Uh, but this isn't specifically something that you can always apply, right? So there are test schedulers that you can use. And if you use dependency injection, basically this is easy. Anytime you have an RxJava subscription happening and you want to point it to a specific uh, scheduler, if you inject which scheduler or thread you use into your code, then when you're actually testing, you can easily swap that out and pass in a test scheduler. Now, this is how I did it previously. But Dan, you had a suggestion on how this can be done way more easily, right?
2: Yeah. So RxJava plugins again has this way of actually uh, overriding what the the way that the default schedulers work. And so mm-hmm. normally I wouldn't mess with it, but for testing you can just say, hey, every time someone requests an IO th- scheduler, actually just give them immediate.
1: <laughs> oh wow! I I really have to look at this RxJava plugins thing. <laughs> so
2: that's so that's super neat. And then uh, when I first discovered that, I learned that they we don't have the equivalent in RxAndroid. And uh, Jake Warden was nice <laughs> enough to add it, so it should be in whatever the next RX Android release is. So that'll be great; it'll make oh, testing awesome. way easier. That's cool.
1: Oh, so this is specifically for the Android scheduler's main thread. Uh,
2: exactly. One. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay, that makes sense.
2: Because there's there's a lot of code inside the RX Android project that depends on that scheduler. So if you can't if you can't Ooh. inject it, actually, like even if you're using dependency injection, it won't help in some cases because what other parts like view observables might be using it. So you couldn't, you couldn't inject that without the plugin.
1: Ah, okay. Do you have any other sort of tips that you use uh, for testing specifically with RxJava? Like what are some other things that you do usually?
2: Yeah. I mean, one of the really cool things about RxJava is that you can so often just like insert an observable in the chain, wherever you want. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the times, like we might have code that represents like a fragment lifecycle,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: Uh, normally you'd have to test that in an actual fragment itself or fragment activity. You don't actually have to in testing because you can just create a fake observable that simulates the life cycle. So that's pretty cool. Oh, Um,
1: nice. Okay. So basically what you're saying is like you would have like one uh, sort of branch of your observable sort of uh, chaining do stuff on like say the main fragment or any UI sort of UI related activity. You would just swap that out with some dummy operator when you're testing and then continue with the rest of the chain?
2: Yeah, because I mean, anytime you're, anytime you're testing just like how some code reacts to a particular observable, you can mock that observable extremely easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even really mocking at that point. It's just uh, returning a different, a, a known series of events.
0: Yep. Um, and cool. then
2: another thing I use all the time is observable.toBlocking. blocking. Now, this isn't really a great thing to use so often in actual production code because it basically says, take all this wonderful <laughs> asynchronous stuff that we've been talking about and make it synchronous. Um, But it's great, it's great, great, great in uh, testing because then you you can essentially say, okay, uh, actually at this moment, I want this observable chain to just execute everything. Mm. And then you can say, all right, now I want to examine what the first, second, third, and fourth item that came out of it are and make sure that they're actually the correct ones.
1: Okay, so let's talk about some of the other gotchas with RxJava uh, that you otherwise would encounter. Um, One big problem with... uh, using so android uses like predominantly java 6 and unfortunately you don't have things like lambdas right so what lands up happening is it looks really sort of ugly uh dan do you have any suggestions on how people can deal with this sort of uh ugliness that happens because typically you would have to emulate lambdas using inner static classes which has a a whole set of other problems
2: yeah, it's all sorts of it's all sorts of anonymous inner classes that you're generating. Otherwise, um, Android Studio and IntelliJ kind of help alleviate this a little bit because they have code code folding. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you are using it, you know you can use code fo- code folding in order to uh, view the code a little easier. But actually, within Trello and some other apps uh, we're working on, we use RetroLambda, which is uh, a library that some people wrote in order to backport lambdas in particular to uh, versions of java previous to java 8 and interesting
1: so you use retro lambda in actual production code without any issues
2: yes not without any issues there is one <laughs> there is one minor they don't call it bleeding edge for a reason um was <laughs> one minor issue that we've run into uh that uh man i don't really want to get into the details here but there's okay. it's a known issue and i think they're working on it at the moment but besides okay. that it works just fine Okay. Uh, and we've been using RetroLambda now for like, I don't know, eight months or something. So clearly okay. we wow. haven't fallen apart.
1: <laughs> I guess the important thing is like people want to get a level of confidence. And if you're using it in production apps, specifically an app like Trello, then obviously it makes sense. Then you should, yeah. If if you have doubts about using RetroLambda, well, then yeah, hopefully that helps
0: in making that decision.
2: Sure. I don't want to freak people out. I just don't want to be technically inaccurate and say we've never <laughs> had any problems. <laughs>
0: Exactly. One of the one of the issues that I've found when I was learning RxJava is about unsubscribing uh, from observables. I wasn't sure when I should do it, if I should do it, what the importance was, what the ramifications were if I if I didn't. Dan, could you provide any insight on to unsubscribing and, and when and why you might want to do it?
2: Yeah. So th- this is a really big topic that I agreed was not really covered well at all, um, because. You know, there's all this wonderful code of, you know, you create your observable, you do all these operations to it, and then you subscribe to it, and you're done. Uh, But what happens, this is a really easy recipe for memory leaks. So, uh, Hmm. for example, there's this concept of hot and cold observables. And so uh, a cold observable is one that just emits data when you subscribe to it, and then it's done. Uh, a hot mm-hmm. observable is something that could happen at any time. So, like, a hot observable could be clicking on a view, for example. Like, if you have a button, whenever you click on that button, it emits this item. So, if you subscribe to a hot observable, it actually, like, may never end. It may keep going on forever. And so, if you subscribe to this button click, and then you leave the activity, and you don't clean up afterwards, that subscription will leak, and then, by extension, your whole activity will leak. And that's real bad news. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So wow. you really want to take care to like when you create these subscriptions. Uh, if you know that the subscription is going to end before the context ends, then fine. You don't have to worry so much about unsubscribing because it'll finish and it'll clear out all its references just fine. But if that subscription has a possibility of not ending before the activity or fragment ends, then you want to make sure to uh, clear it somehow. So there's kind, of, there's kind of two different ways that I handle unsubscribing. And one of them is uh, using something called composite subscription. So every time you call subscribe, it returns a subscription, and that subscription allows you to call unsubscribe. So that's fine, but what if you have, like, 20 subscriptions in a class? Mm -hmm. You know, that would be a real pain in the... Have 20 different variables tracking those 20 different subscriptions. Instead, you can have composite subscription, which uh, you can add all of your subscriptions to, and then at the key moment, call unsubscribe and it unsubscribes from all of them. Now, one key thing to know about composite subscription is that once you call unsubscribe on it, it's unusable. So, if you want to, you cannot reuse a composite subscription. So, if you end up, if you have a pattern where you unsubscribe and then you later want to use it again, you have to create a new instance. Um, the other method that we use for unsubscribing automatically is to use the lifecycle observables, the thing I mentioned earlier in Rx Android, and we set it up such that uh, you basically give it a stream of lifecycle events. So, for example, onCreate, onStart, onResume, and then it automatically figures out like, okay, if you if you subscribe to this and onStart, you probably want to unsubscribe from it and onStop and it uses that secondary thing in order to basically it keeps the subscription running until you get to that particular lifecycle event and then it unsubscribes
1: so the composite subscription that you mentioned like that's one problem i always faced uh, previously uh, i would use fragments and i would typically do all my cleanup uh, between the on resume and on pause sort of uh, lifecycle methods and typically always that'll happen like on pause you would unsubscribe the composite subscription And then later on, you would realize that, hey, I mean, when the fragment resumes again, like nothing seems to work. So that's, yeah, that's a good catch. You've got to make sure either you do it on destroy or you be careful about not unsubscribing when you don't. Or otherwise, on resume, you can just create a new composite subscription. Okay, here's a question that I had. If I had an observable that I knew would complete, but but it would typically complete after the activity or the fragment has gone out of... uh, its life cycle. Is that still a problem?
2: Uh, I would say so, yes. Just because uh, you never know, like if someone starts jamming on the back button, like you might go through 10 different activities and suddenly you're leaking all of them and you could crash. Ah, so. uh,
1: okay. So the problem is essentially that these would accumulate. Uh, it would typically in the end be garbage collected, but it, it's still a problem because it's going to, that activity, which is a huge object, is going to be uh, held in memory for quite some time. Is that basically like what you're saying?
2: Yeah, and also, I mean, I just like being correct and knowing that when it's gone, it's actually gone. Uh, so, actually, um, I could talk about bind fragment and bind activity. Uh, people get really confused about the difference between that and lifecycle observables. What bind fragment and bind activity do is they prevent items from being emitted after the activity or fragment goes away, and at the same time, it also unsubscribes to them. The key problem here is that it does so based on the emissions of the observable. So if you have an observable that takes like 10 minutes to emit anything and they leave the activity, bind activity is not going to save you then because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in the background that whole time because it oh. doesn't know to unsubscribe yet. So oh, <clears throat> those, are really, those are really just for making sure that an item doesn't get emitted and then you try to handle that when the fragment is already gone, for example. Because you you know you might try to manipulate some view and then you'll get a crash because the view couldn't be manipulated at that stage in the lifecycle.
1: So this is a very Android specific problem.
2: Yes, it has it has to do with how um, the main thread scheduler works. Exactly. Right. This is real inside baseball sort of thing, so I don't want to get too into detail. <laughs> but there's a lot of writing online if you want to look into it as to why this is happening.
1: Right. So do you have any other suggestions or tips uh, specifically? towards memory leaking and what you should or shouldn't be doing or do you think we've covered most of it
2: i think we've covered it okay
1: that makes sense um so one problem with using rx java is that at least like i found this like as you start using it more and you start start to understand it better you start to think of it as a hammer and everything looks like a nail to you right like you want to start using rx java for everything
2: yeah you see you see those uh for each iterators, and you think, oh, that should be observable from, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, seriously have thought about that because <laughs> I get so conversant with RxJava Java that I'm like, oh, that could just easily be done with RxJava, Java. Why not use that? What are some of the problems with that? I mean, is that a problem? First of all,
2: uh, I think a little bit. I mean, RxJava, Java, like we mentioned from the first half, it's it's complicated. It takes a lot of time to understand, and so I, you know, I think I would prefer. Maybe this is just my Java background, but i prefer the imperative code if I can get it, if it makes sense. I think RxJava should only be used when it actually can add something based on its operators or its threading concurrency or its error handling.
1: I remember seeing a Reddit thread where someone uh, was using this library by path. It's called priority job queue. I'm not sure if you guys have heard about it. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. So he asked a question, uh, basically he was using retrofit and retrofit was returning an observable and he was using that within the priority job queue, which was anyway in the background thread. So he was having like confusion, uh, like, oh, is it going to spawn another thread? Like, should I be using that? And really at that point, there was no need for it to be asynchronous. I mean, you could just make the retrofit call synchronous, but because it's in a background thread, it isn't necessarily going to affect it. In fact, it makes it easier because then you can be assured that the call is over and then proceed with the next sequence of operations that you had to uh, deal with. I had a very similar situation. Basically, in our app, we do like a bunch of uh, bulk uploads for the photos that you take on wedding party. And uh, we use, again, uh, a sort of queued operation to make sure that your photos go up. And there, it just made sense to use like a sort of synchronous operation just because uh, there are like certain, like I said, like you either process pictures or you do things in the background. You don't always have to use RxJava. So it, it's important to understand that there are times when really RxJava doesn't need to be used.
2: People take photos at weddings? Yeah, <laughs> who would have thought, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Huh, I should look for There's some an of app those.
0: for that. We covered a little bit about hot and cold observables kind of in the in the section before. Uh, but it was kind of really in depth to the particular topic we were talking about. Dan, do you ha- have a good, simple example of a hot and cold uh, observables and when we may want to know about them and why we should care about them?
2: I mean, the main the main difference to know about the, t- the difference between the two of them is just to know when their items are being emitted. So the hot observable example, like I gave from earlier, is, is clicking on a button. A cold example might be a network request. So you create an observable that represents a network request that you're going to get a response from, but that request doesn't actually execute until someone subscribes. And so there's, like, for example, you might have a hot observable. If no one subscribed to it, it's like a tree falling in a forest. No one's actually listening to it. <laughs> um, but it's st- those items are still being omitted, regardless of whatever you're doing subscription-wise. Whereas with a cold observable, nothing happens with it until you actually subscribe. Um, And another interesting thing is that with cold observables, every single subscription that you do to it is going to actually start off a new chain of events. So if you had one network request and you have five different people subscribing to it, you'll actually end up creating five different network requests. Um, So you have to be really cognizant there that with cold observables, when you subscribe, if you're actually going to share that observable stream with multiple uh, subscribers, that you need to do something, you need to make it uh, multicast in some way or another.
0: And how do I know that I'm creating a hot or a cold observable?
2: Oh, man, that just takes time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Dan, did you want to talk about some points of confusion? You know, that I was talking just recently, bringing that up. Do you want to talk about some of the points of confusion you've noticed uh, with RxJava in general?
2: Yeah, one of of the things I've noticed a lot is people getting confused about what on error really means. Um, A lot of people seem to think on error means something went wrong and now I'm going to try to recover from it. No. On error means something horribly, horribly disastrous <laughs> went wrong with the observable chain. Like, it's supposed to represent the idea that your observable chain no longer can function. It's
1: like a try catch like to... almost, right? It's an exception, yeah. It's like a, almost like a runtime exception. I mean, not specifically but the problem, a runtime. The problem
2: but... was that Java programs are so used to using tri-catch just for flow <laughs> true, true. Um, yeah this isn't like try catch for flow this is like something something so bad happened that we can't keep this going so if you if you've got a stream so for example validation like you wouldn't want to call on error when something's invalid you, what you want to do is emit uh variables that either indicate that it is valid or it isn't valid um because okay. then that data remain that stream remains uh constant you don't have to like keep resubscribing to it and it just it, you can compose the data still because on one of the things about on error is it just jumps straight to the end wherever, wherever the error handler is, um, so it's just on error is supposed to be unrecoverable exceptions. And I think the reason a lot of people get confused is because um, retrofit and uh, its initial implementation of how it does uh, integration with RxJava caused all like non-success error states to be on error. Okay. Um, and really, that oh, probably yeah. shouldn't be the case. It should be the case that it should be wrapped and then you can handle this HTTP status code yourself um, gotcha. somewhere later in the chain. And I, I, my understanding is that they're probably going to switch to that in a later version of retrofit.
0: That'd be
1: cool. Great, that makes sense.
2: Um, another, another issue that uh, can creep up on you that people don't know is going to creep up on them is something called back pressure. And this was something that was uh, handled pretty late in the game for RxJava. And the The idea behind back pressure is pretty simple, um, you know. If you have an observable emitting a bunch of data, it might, you know, it obviously takes some amount of time for your code to process each of those emitted items. Mm-hmm. And suppose that the time it takes to process those emitted items is longer than the time it takes between each emitted item. And so, if I if my observable is going to emit a thousand items, and it takes me ten second in like in a second. It takes me ten seconds to process each one of those items. Like I'm gonna end up with just a huge amount of back pressure, and that's basically I I can't process the data as quickly as the is delivering it to me. Gotcha. Um, so this is this is an interesting problem to try to handle because like it's it's basically like you're running a little mini server on your in your code because that's servers have to deal with this problem all the time. You. Suddenly, you get on the top of Hacker News, and now you have to deal with fifty thousand extra requests coming to your web server that you can't deliver that quickly. Um, so, back pressure is something that creeps up on you because it's not a problem until it suddenly is, and then your code crashes all over the place. Because um, because there's a certain there's a buffer that exists that allows for some amount of buildup. But once you get too past too much past that buffer, your cr- app just blows up. Uh, and so, the usual way to handle that is. You need to make one of two choices. either, uh, Well, one of three choices. You can either make the buffer a little bigger, if that's all you really need, is just a slightly larger buffer. Um, You can uh, slow down the rate at which items are emitted somehow, or you can choose to drop some emitted items. Like, there's no no, uh, one excellent solution to it. You just have to figure out some way to make the stream as fast as the data, the way you're processing it.
1: Do you typically find that issues with specific operators, I mean, other specific operators that sort of tend to like run into this problem more often or is it just like a generic thing? For example, I know like the zip operator, the, like you are prone to run into back pressure sort of like issues with zip. If you have two observables where one is like emitting it at a huge rate and there's one that's maybe like a network call that comes like once in every 10 seconds or something. Uh, is that sort of like a situation that you would run into back pressure
2: uh, it's, it's typically issues? not for me not the particular ob- operators, but just what the source is. Mm-hmm. So if the source is something that emits a whole bunch of items, that's when it becomes really useful to use something like distinct until changed or filter just so you can have fewer items. You only need to pay attention to the ones that really matter hmm yep
1: And how do you typically catch these back pressure? I mean like how would these like sort of like materialize in your app?
0: How do you know you have a back pressure problem yeah exactly.
2: Usually the app crashes with a stack trace saying that the ring buffer is full.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, that's, well, oh, that's pretty simple.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's easy to tell when you've got the problem. In particular, we ran into this a couple of months ago because they decided to change the size of the buffer. So the buffer, oh. I think, used to be like, I think 20 times larger than it is now. Because obviously, like, oh. having that buffer takes up space. And so right. it's, you want to have a buffer that's just the right size. To handle all of your code, and they so they dramatically lowered it based on just uh, some usage case. You could so our our answer was to raise it up because I think like I think it was reduced by twenty times, and so we just like doubled what the default was because mm-hmm. we were that was pretty much enough for us. And
1: uh-huh. how would you do this typically? How would you like increase the buffer? Is like their uh, standard way of doing this?
2: Yeah, I don't remember exactly what the method call is. Okay, uh, but we can so add a link to the show notes yeah. for that, I guess. But I probably, like, I would not go to that as your first solution necessarily. Like, I'm not very proud of that being our solution. <laughs> the better solution is to, like, r- slow things down or to drop items as necessary. Because that's more sustainable <laughs> than just, add, like, your solution shouldn't be every single time you run out of space to add more space. Because Add is not- more memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And I mean, this is where some of those other operators like the bounce and buffer and those also come into, uh, they come in handy where you can sort of like ignore a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, so. and I had
2: one last thing that really I only just recently realized and I just wanted to share, which is that there's this, when you call flat map, you're creating a, a new observable essentially. Um, so that new observable, then you can apply your own operators on that. And then you can take those operators. Maybe one of those is a flat map, and you can create the observable you create in there and add some operators to that. And if you if you do code like that, like yes, it's 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 literally cor- correct, but reading it is really difficult because your code is kind of like has this tree hierarchy now. One of the cool things I like about RxJava is just this chain of line after line after line of what's going to happen to each data emitted. When you have these uh, nested flat map operators it gets really confusing very quickly and so my advice is if you're writing flat map and you're going to have the data inside of it need some operators called to split that out into some separate method or action somewhere because mm-hmm. then uh, it makes the code just so much easier to read Like it, it does the exact same thing but just a lot easier comprehensively to, to right. comprehend
0: do don't one operation. operation exactly
1: don't break the chain or Dan will get angry <laughs>
0: Cool. I think that wraps it up for uh, the RxJava topic. As Kaushik said before, we could probably go on this for another two days and it would be fun too, because I myself have learned a whole bunch. I don't know about you, you Kaushik, but I know I've learned a ton. Oh, absolutely. So uh, that said, I think we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, and we, as usual, we wrap up the show with a couple of awesome picks of the week. Uh, Dan, would you mind sharing what, some of the things that you found on the web? Yeah, well, this isn't
2: this isn't a recent find necessarily. It's a talk from a few years ago, but I figured while I'm on this podcast, I wanted to share it because I really love it. Um, it's this talk by Rich Hickey, the uh, creator of Closure, called "Simple Made Easy," and it's it's really about this fundamental concept of what what is the difference between a simple solution to a problem and an easy solution to a problem, and these are two different things. And he he goes over it really well, and it's it's kind of formed a, a basis now for how I evaluate how good a solution is because a, a solution is better if it's simple than rather, rather than if it's complex. Mm-hmm. So
1: when I saw Dan add this into the notes, I was like, Oh, huh, that looks interesting. I clicked it and then I landed up watching the whole thing. So
2: yeah, it's just, it's, it's super great. <laughs> yeah. um, I love it. And then the, uh, the other one we mentioned it earlier, but Victor, the, the library that we just released, uh, this is total blatant self-promotion, but it's free. So whatever um i think it's really awesome and i'm super excited about releasing it so it's my other pick
0: this week for my picks uh, i just have one it's realm.io and realm is a a mobile database it's basically a replacement for sqlite uh, and core data so for android or iphone or ios projects and it's basically an object database so if you're interested in a different type of data persistence mechanism you might want to check out realm it has uh it's been out for a little bit now, but if you're interested and in, in maybe you're getting tired of SQLite, which I know a lot of people are, uh, definitely go take a look at realm.io. I found it pretty inter- interesting.
1: Nice. So my pick for this week is another talk. It's called therapeutic refactoring, and it doesn't actually deal with Android or Java, but the, the code is actually in Ruby. But this is possibly one of like the best talks on refactoring that I've seen in some time. I go back and watch this again and again, just because it's done really well. Uh, We'll add a link to this. It's on YouTube. It's basically a talk where Katrina Owen talks about how she approaches refactoring. And she actually does almost like a sort of live demonstration of like one really nasty chunk of code that was there in her production uh, application. And she basically takes it apart. She adds tests as like a sort of safety harness and then goes back and demonstrates how you can how you should be approaching refactoring it's an amazing talk so i definitely very very highly recommend people watch that it's an amazing talk all right so i guess it's time to wind this episode down so if people want to reach you dan what's the best way they should
2: uh probably the easiest way is to get me on twitter Uh, my twitter handle is danlu42 my last name is spelled L-E-W, not one of those L-I-U people. So. <laughs> it's, uh, and then if you also want to check out my blog, you can get to it pretty easily. It's just at danlu.net.
1: You have a pre- you had a previous blog as well, uh, danielcodes.blogspot.com. You said yeah. that was basically a mirror.
2: It's, it's basically a mirror on the new blog now anyways. So if you happen to come across that, yeah, I'm the same person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. Also, if you're interested, uh, Trello is hiring right now. We're not actively hiring any Android developers, but I know that we just put up a listing for windows phone. Maybe you like that too. Um, but that's at Trello.com slash jobs. If you're interested.
1: Okay, cool. So you can find all the show notes for this episode at fragmentedpodcast.com slash episodes slash four, uh, Everything that we have talked so far in this episode, we'll add links to that. So you'll find that pretty useful. Uh, Now and then we also add things that we don't necessarily discuss in the episode. So they're like nice Easter eggs. So you should definitely look at all our episodes and uh, read the show notes. There's a lot of gold in there. Uh, If you have feedback or suggestions for us, please feel free to comment right at the show notes. Or you can uh, send a tweet directly to both Don or me. Uh, send it with the hashtag fragmented podcast and that makes it just easier for us to filter it out but if you tweet at us anyway then uh, that should work too if people want to tweet at you don where do they do that
0: you guys can reach me at twitter handle uh, at don felker that's d-o-n-n-f-e-l-k-e-r that's with two n's Uh, you can also hit me up on my blog at donfelker.com
1: Nice. And if people want to reach me, I'm Kaushik Gopal. That's K-A-U-S-H-I-K-G-O-P-A-L. That's my full name on Twitter. Or you can go to my site. That's K-A-U-S-H dot C-O. So you can basically find most of the stuff that I do online there. Thank you so much for listening. And we will catch you in the next episode.